Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Happy Resurrection Sunday to all of our locations. Well, I'm, that's, that's awkward if only a couple of you clap. Let's try that again. Happy Resurrection Sunday to all of our locations. Great to see you. Look, if somebody, if somebody bribed you to be here and promised you ham afterwards, and you walked in here and you're like, oh my, this is a little, this is a little bit excited. Why are they, why are they waving, they're, they're waving lit things, and why are they jumping, why are they, listen, I would just say, if somebody invited you to a sports event, and the team that they were rooting for was killing the game, and was in the playoffs, and if the other person was sitting there bored and yawning, you would probably be like, I don't want to follow this team. You don't even want to follow this team. So listen, we're just real excited about Jesus, and we love Jesus and his grace and his mercy, and you're here, here for a purpose today. So uh, uh, it's going to be a, a continue to be a fun, a fun morning. Found, I came across something uh, past couple weeks that really has ended up being one of my favorite gifts, one of the favorite gifts that somebody has brought, has, has given to me. And it's something that my brother made for me when our firstborn uh, son was getting ready to be born when Camden was pregnant with Caden. And, and uh, it's not worth a lot of monetary value. So this, this glove on here is my first baseball glove ever. It's probably, um, you know, $15 at Kmart. And if I signed it, it would go down in value. So it's not like eBay's getting anything out of it. But, and this glove is the dad that my, uh, the glove that my dad always wore, you know, and this was just for us, like this baseball was, was our connection, was one of the cool connections. So like he was always into old cars and working on cars. And um, I wasn't too into that growing up. And then, you know, he'd be working out working in the yard and I definitely wasn't into that growing up. And so, the, but the baseball ended up being our connection. I'll never forget my first baseball game, Pittsburgh Pirates playing the Los Angeles Dodgers in Three Rivers Stadium, and it was hat day. It was hat day. And I got the Pittsburgh Pirates at the time had like some of the best slash worst uniforms of all time. So they had like the all yellow and the all black or black and gold or black and gold. And, and, and their hats were actually a square uh, baseball hat. It was a square baseball hat with yellow rings ara around the hat. And so that was my, my first hat. And so I just became a baseball fan. And then we started playing Little League. And this is, found this picture at Christmas not even uh, thinking about this message, but this was my first Little League team. That's me up there on the left and my dad highlighted there. And, and I got I got I'll just go ahead and tell you the whole story. So this was actually a t-ball team. And so what you may be thinking by looking that photo is, at that photo is, Pastor, you look a little bit old to be playing t-ball. And I would just like to tell you that back in the day, that's how it was, okay? Like, I know they have prenatal baseball leagues now. I know if your kid is not on a traveling team by one and a half, they have no chance of making it, not just in baseball, but in life. And so, but like back in the day, you didn't just start, like our league didn't start until you're around eight years old. And so um, another thing I noticed, other than the height of the hats, 
Apparently, they did not make kid sizes back in the day. We had one size, and it was just wear the hat really high on your head. And then you may notice the jeans that all of us, except Billy Wright, who was standing beside me, Billy Wright had on sweatpants, and I think maybe sweatpants were just like becoming a thing at the time. I don't know. Um, Pastor, why didn't you have baseball pants? I don't know. That's just what they gave us. They gave us a t-shirt and a hat, and there, go play t-ball. And that's kind of what it was. That was our league. We had, we played in what was called the Tri-County League, the Tri-County League. Now, I know Concord and Cabarrus County has like a thousand lakes, and Mecklenburg has 10,000 leagues. But for us, in my hometown of 241 people, it took three counties to make one league. And so that was, that was it. And we were, but, but my, my, one of mine and my dad's uh, connections, and um, I'll, I'll always remember. Uh, I'll always remember, like, so my dad worked about 30 or 40 minutes away from our home field and then remembered the whole Tri-County thing, so sometimes he would have to get off work and travel longer just to get to our baseball game. So um, I always remember, like, during warm-ups, he wouldn't always be there during warm-ups because he'd be getting there, but by game time, he was there, he was in his spot, third base, he always coached third base, and there was just something about... Like in my, in my mind, in my mind, I knew my dad loved me. In my mind, I knew my dad was for me. In my mind, I knew he supported me. But there was something about when he appeared. Like as a kid, as I'm standing there and I'm warming up and we're running out onto the field, as my eye came across and I saw my dad walking, there's something about like when my dad showed up, his appearance, his presence, it meant, it meant more. Like I was like, okay, I got this. We can, we can do this. And on this Resurrection Sunday, I'm reminded that that's part of the message of Jesus is not that there is just some God somewhere out there up there in the distant, that the part of the story of the cross and the resurrection is that Jesus appeared. He made an appearance, and, and actually, even after the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 more days on this earth after the resurrection making a, a, appearances. There's about 11 of them. He appeared to the disciples, to Mary. He appeared to, to Thomas. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 500. He appeared to the disciples on the road to the two disciples, Cleopas and the other disciple. He's not named on the road to Emmaus. And so there was about 11 of these appearances in 40 days following the resurrection. I started thinking about that theologically. And it, at first it didn't make sense. Because if you think about it, he didn't have to. His work was absolutely finished. Jesus was sent to this earth by the Father to be incarnated, to dwell in a human body because you can't save something from the outside. You can only save something from the inside. And what Adam and all of us messed up in the sin and the broken relationship with the Father could only be restored by God becoming man, being born of a virgin in Bethlehem in a manger like the prophecy foretold by living a perfect life and being offered as a perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God upon the cross, going into the tomb for three days, yanking the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from the enemy and come bursting out of the tomb. And that is the message of Easter, and that's, it was completed. And so why did Jesus 
spend 40 more days on this earth making appearances. I believe that part of the reason is he wanted us to know, and here's the title, here's the great news, that not only did Jesus appear, but here's the title of my message today that he wants to remind you of, he's still appearing. He's still appearing. In the middle of sickness, he's still appearing. In the middle of when I don't feel hope, he's still appearing. In the middle of I don't even know what I'm doing in church, it's been too long since I've been in church, he's still appearing. In the middle of guilt, he's still appearing. In the middle of shame, he's still appearing. Jesus has a way of showing up in your situations in life and bringing hope and joy to it. So out of these post-resurrection appearances, I want to walk through four of them. I'm going to spend a lot of time on the first one, so don't get nervous if you're like, Pastor said he was going to go through four, and he's only on one, and Grandma's got a ham waiting on me. So don't get nervous. We'll, we'll, get, you, we'll get you to the ham and potato salad. But um, I want to preach this through the book of John, tell you a couple of other, mention a couple of other appearances, and then we'll close with the final story. He's still appearing. He's appearing in your brokenness. He's appearing in your brokenness. John chapter 20, Mary is the first person to see the resurrected Christ. Here's the account by John. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. And I just want to mention at this point that Mary is in a state, I believe, that even is a little bit beyond brokenness. Here would be my definition of brokenness. Brokenness in your life is when you lose something that you value. So brokenness is when you lose a loved one. Brokenness is when there's a loss of relationship. Brokenness can happen when you lose a job or something that you had security in. I don't think that Mary was just, be, but you can be broken, but still be holding it together. You know what I mean? Sometimes you feel broken, but you got to hold it. You got to be strong for the family or you feel that way. I'm broken, but I got to, I got to hold it together because I'm going out in public and uh, when you move from brokenness to falling apart is when you lose something and you can't find Jesus in the middle of your situation. And for Mary, both of those events were actually happening simultaneously. So I prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen. Where is Jesus in the midst of this? Somebody had cancer and I prayed for healing and they passed. Where was Jesus in the midst of this? I believed God for the job. I believed God. Where is Jesus? And that's when you begin to experience kind of beyond brokenness. And the story continues. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was, it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Y'all, this is not, Mary had not just shown up at a Jesus crusade in the feeding of the 5,000 and been at the back of the auditorium, auditorium or on the hillside in Galilee and seen Jesus from a distance. Mary was one of Jesus' closest friends. Jesus was in Mary's home. They were, they were, they were close. She was a follower, a close follower of Christ. And so it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought that he was the gardener. 
And I just wonder how many times in my life, in our life, is Jesus actively at work in our situation, we just don't recognize it. I wonder how many times Jesus is working up a miracle, but we just overlook it. Well, how could I overlook? I think if Doug, I may not be the most spiritual person on the planet, but if Jesus showed up in my life, I think I would recognize him. I know, right? And you would think that Mary, like best friend, one of the best friends of Jesus, been with him for years. You would think that Mary would, would recognize him. And so why? You, you, then you ask the question, well, how did Mary not recognize Jesus? And also, catch this. This is, this is post-resurrection Jesus. So in, in my mind, post-resurrection Jesus would be like floating Jesus. In my mind, post-resurrection Jesus would be like glowing Jesus. In my mind, post-resurrection Jesus would be like have an entourage of angels around him just announcing, hey, everybody, coming down the aisle at this time, weighing in at 185 pounds from Bethlehem, Israel. Come on, give it up. And like, and like the smoke would be like just like, come on, give it up for the resurrect. Like in my mind, that's what's going on. Pastor John and I have this secret dream that someday we'll make this entrance onto stage with smoke. Like that's our, like the Ric Flair robe, the whole deal. If that ever happens, just know your pastor is not being conceited. It's just a childhood dream. We're just, just walking out our dream, just walking out. But like in my mind, you would probably miss, you might miss Jesus because he's like, he's too spectacular. He's too magnificent. He's too big. But that's not the reason why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. Why did Mary not recognize Jesus? The Bible says that Mary didn't recognize Jesus because she thought he was the gardener. Nothing against gardeners. I was doing some of it yesterday. But what does it, what does it, what is it about a garden? Ordinary? Common? What if we're actually missing our miracle because the work of Jesus in our life is more common and ordinary than we think it is? I believe that God has a word for somebody today and his word is this. His word is don't overlook your miracle. Don't overlook it. Well, pastor, I've been praying for the man of my dreams, pastor, I've been praying for the woman of my dreams, and I've been looking up. I see that glow wand up. I see that. Amen. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's a response or you just accidentally hit the button, but <laughs> and I've been looking up at the heavens, and every morning I expect that man just to descend from heaven. I, I expect that woman just to descend from heaven. Maybe, like maybe they're, maybe you already know them. Maybe, maybe they were like a childhood best friend. Don't miss your miracle because it might seem too ordinary. Don't overlook something. I feel like God wants to tell you the answer is right there. The answer is at your feet. You've been looking up. Look down. You've been looking for something spectacular. Look for something common. God is always in the business of taking something very common and ordinary and filling those common things with his resurrection power. That's what my God does. 
That's what he does. And by the way, that's why he chose me and that's why he chose you is because we are common, ordinary people that everybody else would have overlooked. And God said, that's exactly who I want to choose to teach, to preach, to be a, to be a, a garbage man or a gardener or whatever it is we do in our vocation. God chose you to do that. And you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that, in that arena. Sir, she said, if you've taken them away, tell me where have you put them, and I'll go get them. And this is, this is the line that changes everything. Mary, Jesus said. Mary. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbanai. That was the moment that changed everything for Mary. It wasn't a 12-point sermon. It wasn't a theological discourse on the cross or on the resurrection. It was when Jesus said her name. I hear Jesus saying your name today. He's saying your name. You're not a number. You're not. Some of us don't have any problem believing for God so loved the World, I have a problem believing for God so loved me because I shave with me in the morning and I got to look at me in the mirror and I know my faults and my inadequacies and my insecurities all too well. But Jesus is saying somebody's name. He's calling you. You're here for a purpose and you're here for a reason. He's still appearing. He's appearing in your brokenness and then he's appearing in your doubt. He's appearing in your doubt. I love, I love Thomas. Like I kind of resonate with Thomas. Thomas is that disciple that, that uh, where you read about him and you think, man, Thomas, shouldn't you be further along in your spiritual maturity at this point in your life? And, and sometimes, I, sometimes I resonate that. And, and we, know him, we know him as doubting Thomas. I think that's a little unfair. How would you like to be known by your greatest failure in life? Oh, there's, there's unbelieving John. There's, <laughs> there's angry Eric. They're not, they're neither of these are true. But like, <laughs> there's, <laughs> I don't know. Like what, whatever it is for you. <laughs> oh, there's, there's overeating Sam. There's like, how would you like to be known for all of eternity? I think when we get up into heaven, Thomas is going to be sitting there saying, I am not doubting Thomas. Don't call me by that name. I got a new name. It's written down in the book of glory. Like, I think Thomas is going to preach to us about his new name. But like doubting Thomas, why do they call him doubting Thomas? Is because when Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples, there were 10 of them, um, the 11 minus Minus Thomas. Remember, Judas is not a part of the disciples anymore at this point. So 10 of them, and Jesus appears, and Thomas missed it. Thomas, I don't know what he was doing, but he missed it. And I, and I felt to preach this to somebody today who feels like you've missed your moment. Who's looking into your past and saying, man, I should have. I should have I finished that degree 10 years ago. 
I, I should have married this individual. I should have taken that job. I should have moved. And we can, we can end up living our lives out of I should haves. But here's what I know about Jesus is that Jesus appears again to the disciples, maybe not for the rest of the disciples, but just for Thomas. And you serve a God today who will show up in your life to give you a second chance to. So maybe you feel like you blew it. Maybe you feel like you weren't the dad that you should have been or the spouse that you should have been or the employee or the employer. I got news for you. It's a new day starting right now and you can start over. That's what God does. So Jesus shows up again and Thomas says, I don't believe it until you touch me. And Jesus doesn't rebuke. He doesn't rebuke Thomas for his doubt. He offers him his scars. And Jesus will stretch out those same scars to you in your situation. What you need to, to get faith, to believe. Jesus is patient with you. He's on that journey with you. Somebody that's watching online and you're like, why am I even watching this on an Easter Sunday? I don't don't even know that I believe in God. He's patient with you and he's leading you through your doubt towards an encounter with him. Jesus is still appearing. He's appearing in your brokenness. He's appearing in your doubt. He's appearing in your fear. So the disciples, the other disciples, actually all the disciples, including Thomas, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them and the situation in which he appeared to them is they were behind locked doors because they were fearful of the religious leaders. Like, you remember the disciples, the ones that Jesus had raised up and told them, your job after I die on the cross and I'm resurrected, go out and change the world. You got that? I think so, Jesus. Okay, you're, you're, you, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to empower you. And, and okay, maybe. And, and so Jesus, appear, Jesus appears to them, and they are cowering in fear. They are locked up, cower, because that's what fear does. Fear locks you in. Fear locks you in from the best of what God has for you. And that's why your promise is always on the other side of your greatest fear. And that's why if you want to know where my blessing is, you got to look where is my greatest fear. And your greatest blessing is just on the other side of your greatest fear because the enemy will always try to lock you up in your emotions and lock you up in your insecurities and lock you up into what might happen if I do what God has called me to do. What might happen if I go? I don't know what will happen if I go on the mission strip. I don't know what will happen to my finances. I don't know what will happen if I become a world changer. I don't know what will happen if I say yes. See, that's what the enemy wants to do is he always wants to lock you up. And this is what so I talked about, uh, the post-resurrected Christ appearing more ordinary. I love, I love this appearance of Jesus because Jesus just behind closed doors just boom, like appears. Oh, come on. That's a cool superpower. I want that one when I get to heaven. Like, I want to fly, and I want the superpower just boom, just like appearing. And, and, and here's what I love about this. Now, I've prayed this prayer. It's a biblical prayer, and I will continue to pray this prayer. According, I often pray this prayer. I'll pray somebody's asking for prayer about a decision or, uh, you know, something like that, whatever God's will is. And I, I'll pray, uh, God, according to Revelation chapter 3, I pray that you will open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. However, I am also really excited that I serve a Jesus that doesn't even need a door. Yeah. 
Like Jesus can show up in situations where there isn't even a door. I want to preach this to somebody who's facing a situation where you're like, there's a barrier and I don't know how to get through the barrier and I don't even see a door. And if there is a door, it's locked and there's a person on the other side that I care about and they're lost and I can't even reach them. And the more that I try to love them, the the greater the barrier seems. Jesus is at work on the other side of the wall. Like Jesus can get into locked places in your life and anywhere he wants to, he's still appearing. He's appearing in your brokenness. He's appearing in your doubt. He's appearing, he's appearing in your fear. And final one is he's appearing in your failure. He's appearing in your failure. So this one is about Peter. Peter and the rest of the disciples now they're out on a boat and and they're fishing and i gotta i gotta give it to the disciples at least they're not still locked up in the room i mean they're not doing missions work but at least they're still not locked up in the room like they may be slow but they're improving husbands you can tell your spouse that on the way home say i'm slow but i'm improving i'm getting there so they're out on the boat and i want you to think I want you to think about Peter. So Peter's current situation is Peter has just come off of the greatest failure of his life. Peter's bold. He is brash. He sometimes speaks before he acts. And Peter made these statements of God, even if Jesus, even if, if everybody else abandons you at the cross, I won't. Even if everybody else forsakes you, I won't. I'll, I'll stay with you, Jesus. And A short time later, Peter found himself in a courtyard denying the very Jesus that he said he was going to stand up for. And it was actually three times and Jesus had prophesied this. He said, Peter, no, you won't. He said, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. And so they would come to him and say, aren't you a follower of Christ? And he said, I don't even know who you're talking about. And even so much that there was a 12-year-old little girl. And Peter, this big burly fisherman, starts cussing out the little girl. Read it. It's in the Bible. And like, I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And so Peter now is walking in guilt. He's walking in shame and he's walking in failure. Peter hasn't watched this. This is an important nuance. Peter hasn't lost his salvation. He's lost his calling. Peter still has a relationship with Jesus. Peter's lost his confidence. He's lost his confidence and he's lost his calling. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with fishing except when God has called you to do something else. And here's what I know is that when we in our lives, when we don't feel worthy of stepping into the calling that God has for us, we'll go back to the things that we used to know in life. So we'll go back to what's comfortable and we'll go back to our old habits. And so they were out there fishing, professional fishermen, and they'd been fishing all night and had caught nothing. And And early in the morning, as the sun began to rise somebody on the shore hey fellas hey fellas have you caught anything and they all instantly knew that's that's the lord and he says hey throw your throw your nets on the other side of the boat and they took their nets hadn't caught anything all night professional fishermen threw their nets on the other side of the boat and they pulled out 153 fish so large that the nets started to break and and john turns to them and he he says john says to everybody else that's the lord that's jesus and this is what peter does this is what peter does 
Peter in his failure, Peter in his shame, Peter in his guilt, Peter's the first one out of the boat. I started thinking, why is Peter the first one out of the boat? And I, I, I know I'm using a little bit of imagination here, but, but walk with me. The last time that Peter was in a boat and Jesus was out of the boat was when? When Jesus told the disciples to go across the lake and he would meet them on the other side and the waves came and a storm came and everybody else was scared and Jesus comes walking by on water and Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, if that's you, call me out of the boat call me out of the boat. And so I'm wondering if Peter in his mind said, the last time I was in a boat and Jesus was out of boat, I stepped out of the boat, I stepped out of the boat and I'd walk and I walked on water. And remember, Peter is dealing with this with, I've lost my confidence. God, have I lost my calling? God, have I lost my anointing? God, have I lost, have I lost what, have I missed my chance in life? And so Peter, maybe Peter's thinking, maybe I still got it. Maybe I, maybe I still got it. Maybe he, I still got it. And he's steps out of the boat and he and he sinks and I think that Peter's heart probably sank faster than his feet and now he's walking towards Jesus saying that's what I thought that's what I thought. I've lost my calling. That's what I thought. I've lost my, I've lost my anointing. That's what I thought. I, I blew it. And, and he walks up and he gets onto shore. And Jesus, this is not a chance encounter. Jesus is waiting for them. He's ready for them. It says that Jesus has a charcoal fire. It's very specific, a charcoal fire. And why would the Bible, you got to read the Bible slowly. You got to read every word. There's a reason for that in there. Can you, can you breathe that in for a second? Can you smell that? I know it's getting lunchtime, but like, can you smell the charcoal? There's something, there's something about that first bag of Kingsford charcoal on the grill in the springtime, right? There's something, there's something, the hamburgers are coming. Like there's something about, and they tell us that your olfactory nerves are the most ones that are connected to the neurons in your brain that are tied to memory. That's true, right? So when you walk into mama's kitchen or grandma's kitchen in a little bit, you're gonna not, you're not just gonna smell ham, you're gonna smell the memories. And you're gonna be, remember, oh, I remember when I was eight years old here. I remember when this happened. I remember, and what are you gonna do around the table? You're gonna tell stories and, and, and share and laugh together. But, but watch this now. Peter, what's Peter breathing in? Peter, in the middle of his shame, now he's breathing in a memory. What's the memory? When was the last time that Peter was standing by a charcoal fire? It was when he denied Jesus. Jesus has just recreated the moment of Peter's greatest failure. Like what, what is, what is that about Jesus? What is that? Why would Jesus recreate the moment of a failure? That would be like Jesus showing up today and bringing somebody who had had an abortion and had been struggling so much through that and saying, here, I'm going to meet you at the clinic. 
That would be like Jesus saying, I'm going to meet you at the hotel room where the affair happened. That would be like Jesus saying, I'm going to meet you in the lawyer's office when the divorce papers were signed. I'm going to meet you in the very room where you lost your temper on your kids. I'm going to meet you in the, why would, why would Jesus recreate and take such time to, with all of the senses there to bring Peter to the moment of his greatest failure? A couple reasons is number one, Jesus, the blood of Jesus didn't come to just gloss over your failure. Jesus doesn't just took, turn the other way and say, ah, oh, that knucklehead, Manny messed that, what a, what a sinner, we're, we're okay. That's not what the blood of Jesus does. The blood of Jesus doesn't overlook your failure, the blood of Jesus invades your failure. The blood of Jesus doesn't gloss over our past, it encounters our past. So here's what I want you to know, that Jesus didn't die for the best of you, he died for the worst of you. And the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is so strong that there is no past, no sin, no story that it can't change, that it can't invade. That is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then not only, not only that, but then Jesus enters into this dialogue and he says, Peter, Peter, look at me, buddy. Do you love me? And Peter responds, yeah. <coughs> Peter responds, yeah, Lord, you know, you know, I love you. Jesus, like, you know, I know my actions didn't show it, but God, you know, my heart, you know, I love you, Jesus. Ask him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know, Peter's getting a little disturbed. Why is he asking me all these times? Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. And he said this after the first one too, then feed my sheep, then feed my sheep. And then he looks at Peter again and says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, watch this again. Jesus wasn't restoring Peter's salvation. Peter didn't lose his salvation. Peter lost his confidence and he thought he lost his calling. Jesus was restoring his calling. He was restoring. There is somebody here today that you're saved, but you feel like you've lost your calling. You feel like you've lost your purpose. And again, the blood of Jesus not only reaches back into your deepest failure, but it stretches into your brightest future. It is never too late to be the person that you always wanted to be. That is the power of a Jesus who still appears, who still appears heads bowed and eyes closed at all of our locations. First prayer that I want to pray, I want to pray two prayers. Everybody holding steady will be dismissed in just a moment. But the first prayer that I want to pray, you're here today and you would say, Pastor, Pastor, I feel like Peter today, I, I, I know that heaven will be my home, but I feel like I'm walking in like this secondary God's plan B. I feel like I've lost my anointing. I feel like I've lost my, my destiny. I feel like I've lost my calling. And you don't need to be, you don't need Jesus' blood to save you today. You need Jesus' blood to restore you. And so if that's you, I want to pray for you right there where you're at. Pastor, I need restoration. 
I need restoration as a dad, as a mom, as a grandparent, as a spouse, as a teenager. I need rest. I just need some of that restoration power of the cross. If that's you, would you just wave at me and we'll include you all over the place. I gotcha. I gotcha. We'll pray for that in just a moment. Now you're here and you would say, Pastor, I, I need that first thing. I need that salvation. Pastor, in some ways I feel like in my life I'm walking around but I'm not awake. Like I'm going through the motions but I'm not alive. And Pastor, I need the blood and the breath of Jesus to invade me and to breathe on me so that I can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose. If that's you here, I'm going to count to three, not as a gimmick, but just as a point of contact. I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you anyway. We're going to pray right where you're at. But what a better day to say that yes to Jesus than Easter 2019. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. <coughs> One, two, three. Pastor, that's me. Hands up. Hands up. I gotcha. Church family, can we pray this prayer together? So cool. Like people's eternities are being changed right now. People's destinies are being changed right now. Pasts are being, guilt is gone right now. Shame is gone. Sin is broken. Fear is gone in the house today. Let's pray this together, church. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. And I ask you, Jesus, right now to forgive me, to cleanse me, to set me free. I want to live for you, Jesus. Help me to live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose in Jesus name now would you stand your feet and just receive this father now I pray for the I pray for restoration power of the blood of Jesus over marriages I pray for the restoration power of the blood of Jesus over relationships over families over any brokenness over despair somebody here that may feel like they're falling apart God put them back together in the name of Jesus I pray that somebody who has lost confidence you're gonna walk out of here with the confidence that God is for you, that he loves you, that he has called you, and that you walk in power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you thankful that we serve a risen Savior? Come on, give him one more shout of praise today. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.